0: I'm Kareen, and I'm Cameron, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to a conversation, conversation between, between women. women. All right, welcome back to another unscripted, unedited conversation between women. Um, I am so happy to be back here. There's, I've been all over the place the last few days thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about this time, and so I could really just go anywhere from world crisis to nutrition to mothering to just, there's so many things that I want to talk about. So do you have a, do you have a path? Well,
1: I don't have anything to say about a world crisis. Um, but I could always talk motherhood and nutrition and those were actually the things, well, nutrition is, yeah, has been my headspace lately, which is funny because I thought I was like over that. (laughs) We are again. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to eat. Yeah, right. Now I now I'm yeah, moving in. I don't know. Where do you want to start?
0: Wherever you want to start. Well, I did listen to that podcast you sent me. So hmm. the freely rooted, is that what it's called? Hmm. And it was one hmm. on I can't remember. Do you remember the title Respectful of Respectful Parenting? Respectful Parenting. So I'll put yeah. I'll put a link in the um show notes. Um, but I did listen to all but the last like 20 minutes of it. And um yeah, a lot of valuable things in there and things that got me really thinking, you know, cause you know, I have, you and I have talked about the food thing with our kids. And so it, I'll just put some context here. The episode was about respectful parenting and like letting your children kind of guide their own way of nutrition and and trusting what they're eating and all of that stuff. So, um, And also even more context, you know, these people are talking, they're living in like a whole foods nourished home, right? So this isn't Mm -hmm. like they're eating McDonald's every day. Let's let the kids eat whatever they want kind of thing. It's like, we have all this nourishing food in our life. You get to choose what you want to eat kind of thing. So, and you and I have talked about this since our girls were babies and just, uh, you know, how do we, can we trust them to eat? Well, and all you know, all this stuff. And I remember a specific specific conversation that we had when my daughter my oldest daughter was still a baby and I just was like, Yeah, I'm just gonna trust what she wants to eat. And you were like, Yeah, I don't know about that. Like I don't know about that. And then now I'm like, Yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) Because the thing is, is if I give her and they taught they addressed the fruit thing in the episode. Mm, And if I give my daughter the option of fruit then that's all she's gonna eat. Like she's not gonna eat fat and she's not gonna eat protein. Like she's just literally gonna survive on fruit and bread and butter. Like that's all she'll eat or whatever. And um, and I've done this experiment several times and not I can't let it go too far because what happens is she spins out and gets all defatted and like super mm. airy and like <laughs> meltdowns galore. And I'm like, here, have a spoonful of fat, you know? And then everything's fine. Like life is good, right? <laughs> but there is this thing, I've been thinking about it a lot. Like I really felt like at the time when we had that first conversation that I was, I could see that she was picking and choosing from all of the options, what, what, what she needed at that point. And I, and I know that kids basically need a lot of carbs. They basically need straight sugar at this point. They're like little, you know, butterflies buzzing around and they just need all this energy in the beginning, which is different from what I need. As a mother and what's different than what like a menopausal woman needs you know we all need different things at different stages but now and i remember this thing that happened when she i think it was she was like three years old something switched in her uh self whatever in her bodily makeup in her being human thing in her being on this earth like something switched energetically And a lot of things happened in that, happened in that switch. One thing that happened was that I noticed that her core strength diminished. Like she used to be able to, when she was a baby, like newborn baby up until like three years old, just sit herself flat from on her back into a V shape, like lifting up straight up, right? Like just super core strength. And that was just like innate to her as a baby. Mm -hmm. And that was a thing. And that kind of diminished. And then- at the same time, I noticed that she her, her desire for what she was gonna eat, she used to eat tons of like nuts and avocados and all this stuff. And then it went to, I'm only gonna eat fruit. And um, like this, and then continuing on this last summer, There were so much fruit in our house because I couldn't, I was pregnant and was not into cooking and we were picking berries. We have berries all over this property and we went berry picking and had so many berries that she basically, that's what she, she was allowed to choose her own food to feed herself. And she just chose, chose constantly chose fruit. That was all that she would choose. And we would have conversations about how that's not sustainable. And I'm like, you're, this isn't going to help you go for long periods. This is what happens. You eat tons of fruit and then you get super hyper and then you crash. Like that's a thing, right? So you need to eat fat. So anyway, that all that being said, like, I think that there's a certain point where maybe when they're babies, they can choose the things that they need, but then as they get older and more things are introduced maybe that dis- that decision-making becomes kind of distorted, maybe. And then also thinking about if we were living the way our ancestors lived, for example, which is what I'm always comparing things to, even though we don't live like that anymore. Like if we're living hunter-gatherer, or even if we're living, you know, like we're living now like on a farm, but we're growing all of our own food, there's a limited supply of fruit, like that's just, you know, it, it's t- limited to certain times of the year. You can't have bananas here. You can't have blueberries in January, like all of these things. So that's one thing they didn't really talk on in, the, in that podcast to talk about. And so I don't know what you think about any of that stuff, but there's so many pieces that I felt like were missing from that conversation that maybe we can add to it. I don't know. And mm-hmm. people can go back and listen to that yeah. yeah podcast, and then like <laughs> listen to this one and see like what their own thinking is. I have so much to say to that to all of that.
1: ah, okay, where to begin? um yeah, so I well, okay, just to start, I just did my first Kundalini yoga class this morning, uh which I sort of thought I'm had kind of an idea of what to expect, but I've been doing all this healing work. For a long time, but like super intensely, a lot of energy has been moving in the last couple of months since I did the Joda Spencer retreat in January. And so um that's just to say that I like <laughs> moved a lot of energy and um I don't know, it was just a cool class, but um one of the things that the woman, the teacher said, there's like a there's points of like reflection throughout the class, and at one point towards the end, she said, "Now just you know, sit here, and I'm going to ask you questions, and you can just sit with the questions." And one of the questions that she asked was, "Oh shoot, <laughs> I remember exactly how she worded it, but it was, 'Oh, is are you are you open to new ideas?'" And I thought about that a lot. Um, afterward, well, in the time and afterwards, and I've been thinking about that in the context of food because I've been listening to this podcast that Cameron mentioned, and a lot in the last week, like listen to many episodes, and um, they're discussing their their foundation of, of nourishment. It's called pro metabolic eating, um, and a friend of mine introduced me to that, and it really reincorporates. <laughs> I say reincorporates because I feel like. Cameron and I, and then a lot of us have like gone into the like the animal foods and the animal fat and protein. And um, I mean, for me, it's really been animal fat for um postpartum to now pretty much. So for like six years, but um and and I totally demonized sugar and pro-metabolic eating is like we our primary form of nourishment for our cells on a cellular level is sugar. And that's like the easiest fuel source, the best fuel source. And it's so necessary for all of these other, you know, for the metabolic functioning. Um, And so I'm driving home from this Kundalini class and thinking about this question. Am I, am I open to new ideas? And I was listening to another podcast while driving home and they're talking about like how important sugar is. And, and I just was able to really watch myself in that moment of hearing that word and i was like i could just i could just feel in my body like no sugar is bad for you and then it had me think about how fat got demonized like in the 70s and how so many people are still stuck in fat is bad for you and there's still a huge market for low fat everything Mm -hmm. and um And I had like, no problem in like, whatever, you guys are crazy. Fat's so good. Obviously, you know, like West Weston A. Price and the whole thing. Fell in love with animal fat and then had it so reinforced everywhere. Like how amazing animal fat is for you. And like in my own body, how, you know, how lean I was and how whatever. And um, so I just, I was like, oh, wait a minute. So I really, this is really a conditioned response that I'm having right now Mm. to this word sugar. And they specify that their their thoughts of what ideal sugar sources is or are is honey and um, fruit, fresh fruit, ripe fruit specifically, and fruit juices. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, there's no way. I know, I know, I get it. Yes, I get it. But sugar destroys your teeth. Sugar destroys your body and I'm like just locked into that reinforced by the fact that you know what you're saying about well like going through this fruit obsession thing when it was all that was available I spent a couple months living in Hawaii when my daughter was two and up until that point like like what you were talking about you know your, your daughter was eating all the goods, you know, the good stuff by our standards and what the good stuff is, you know, the good animal stuff, animal fats, animal protein. Um, and, and then she like went off the sugar fruit deep in. And I noticed that, you know, up until, so my daughter was, had just turned two when we went to Hawaii. And up until that point, like I could barely get her to eat. You know, she really just wanted a lot of breast milk and then would like supplement it with, she loved duck, you know, so I'd feed her duck and duck fat. And, um, but like, I distinctly remember that this, this several months before we went, I would make these apple crisps, like obsessively all the time and just eat them all the time. But I would use, you know, just a ton of fresh apples and then, um, nuts. I think I use nuts like pecans and like properly prepared pecans. <laughs> and coconut and um and ghee and that would be my topping and then I would bake it and then I would serve it with uh I think I can't remember if we were doing I don't think I was doing cream so I must have been coconut milk or coconut cream and then a little bit of maple syrup and she just like was not into it I was like, every kid, who does, this is basically applesauce. Who doesn't want this? Like, it's sweet. It's delicious. Like, my kid will not <laughs> eat this. What is? And at her first birthday party, I made her this, like, coconut cake. And she was like, I don't know what that is. I don't want that. <laughs> um, and then we went to Hawaii. And it, they had these, these big metal shelves with all these huge crates of fresh fruit. And it was just, like, free access. You know, you paid X mo- amount per month to, like, be able to eat freely from the kitchen. And um and of course you know she's two but she's like tall enough to reach the lower shelves and she can just like get in as many rambutans as she wants and oranges and people would share their oranges and it was just like and all these those little bananas the little bananas you can get in Hawaii they're like the best bananas in the entire world yeah (laughs)
0: um
1: and she just bananas 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 and and then I you know so I I started to see like she she, at one point she got like a little white spot on her teeth and I was like this can't go on but so all we were able to eat there pretty much was this array, an endless array of really sugary, sweet tropical fruit, you know, which is different than like the wild blueberries I get Mm -hmm. here. Um, just like rambutan is just like pure sugar. They're like the sweetest things in the world. If you haven't had one, I highly recommend them. They're really good, but they're also just like super sugary. Um, so anyway, And then the, the kids at the community, like everybody's teeth were like falling out of their mouth. It's so Mm. many cavities. They had all this metal, they're just like rotting teeth and they're drinking tons of fresh squeezed orange juice. And, and it was like a raw food, you know, raw, raw omnivore. So like, they also have a lot of meat and they're eating, you know, the, the meat, you know, raw beef basically is what they had. And, um, and so I just, I just. I keep I keep going back to that. Like for years I've referenced that as like like all this fruit, this is no good, you know, because that turned on that like that that if to me that felt like that flipped her switch of like, oh, fruit, fruit everywhere all the time. Yes, fruit, 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 fruit. Um and so I think I think like with this freely rooted podcast, um they I think they do a really good job of like they're they're they have a an agenda for their conversations. They want to really cover a lot cover specific things and and um, and, it's, and it seems like a, just a really big conversation that can't be completed in any individual podcast. So there's a lot of stuff that just can't get covered at a time. And I, but one thing that has been mentioned in is modeling and it was mentioned in that respectful parenting episode. And I, and so I do think that there's like, there's a lot more to this conversation around teaching like trusting your children to know their bodies better than anybody else and then teaching them also. Because like, if you go back to Weston Price and you go back to like that book that I've mentioned a bunch on this podcast, The Hunt-Gather Parent and where she's, she's actually you know, engaging with these communities that still have these parenting lineages intact from thousands of years. Um, there's, there's an immense amount of modeling and the modeling comes from the entire community because the whole community lives by the same value structure around parenting. And, and what would have been happening in a traditional community is that that modeling would have carried over into food because the the communities, the people knew how to nourish themselves and, and knew what was needed for everybody. And I mean, I remember, I think it was in the Weston Price book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, where... Maybe it wasn't. I just remember reading about um, the kids going down to the beach to get their like daily allotment of either fish eggs or some some sea creature's eggs. And it was it was just a way of like, you know, we cause they talk about it in this freely rooted podcast episode of like you sit down to dinner and your kid eat what you eat what eat what you eat. You don't go make like a side of mac and cheese and feed mm-hmm. that to them. Like, so I do think my I guess my, um, my, uh, (laughs) I don't know what the word is. My assessment of this, um, based on all of that would be that like, it's not just a fruit free for all. It's not just a house food free for all, but if you don't want your kids eating it, don't have it in your house. And so there is going to be this element of like, you know, if it's freely available, they're probably going to eat it. But there's also this, like, you're still the captain, you're still steering the ship, you're still guiding the course of how they nourish themselves by modeling and by providing and by, you know, maybe, I mean, they didn't talk about this, but I, I think, and we kind of both do this, like, offering information, um, which, you know, when they're little, they can only receive so much of, but offering information of like, yeah, this is what's gonna happen if you only eat this you know, or only drink this fruit juice. Like it, if you pair it with X, Y, or Z, like it might, it, it's going to work in your body differently and it's going to help you feel better longer and, and keep going. And I mean, we totally had, a, we totally had a classic episode last night because my daughter was out all day, went to camp and then apparently didn't really eat very much except the like starchy carbohydratey things in her lunch. She didn't eat her you know, meaty protein. And then we went to straight from there to a birthday party where there was no protein, meat protein available and not, I mean, she had some fat, but it was a lot of, a lot of like sweet potato fries and wild rice and bananas and stuff, you know, it wasn't, um, and other fruit. So we came home complete, like off the charts meltdown. And I was like, oh my God, Oh, my God! What is going on right now? And finally, after lots of digging, got to the fact that like she hadn't actually really eaten lunch and she didn't eat her her meat and and she didn't have meat at dinner, and so she's feeling like, I'm so hungry. I didn't eat real food today, yeah, um so yeah, I really do think that you know it's we have to we have to do all of this with the understanding that we are. Um, we can only do so much, but we can also, you know, um, like we can't, we, we have to pick our battles, which everyone says, but, um, we have to go at it with an understanding that, or if we're going to, if you're going to go for trusting your children and what they eat, there is, there is this like guiding aspect to it by what you have available in your house, what you model with your own eating, how you eat and, and sort of the, you know, maybe a input here and input there on like comments of like, this will do this, this will help here. This is, if you eat it with this or like we always eat these things together or whatever, then, then when they go to make their own choices, they'll be able to make it from an
0: informed place and an experiential place. Yeah. Well, I know I say this all the time, but it really does go back to walking the middle path, right? Because either <laughs> of those extremes, like, because there are people who are just like, let them do whatever they want, and I mean, show me those people, and I'll show you some crazy ass kids, like, period. Mm-hmm. What, whether it's around food or TV time or what you know, whatever thing people do that with, like, free reign just doesn't work. Period. It just doesn't work, and it does, and like the, I I came through to this point where i'm at now i i used to be a an educator in early childhood education and, and the whole premise of the organization that i worked for is a child led future kind of thing like child led classes right and that's where i discovered that the whole child led movement was complete bs and it was like you know, we're adults. We've gotten to this point for a reason because we are like intelligent enough to make it this long and not get killed. And also like we have gained some wisdom along the way and it's our responsibility to share that wisdom with the kids. Right. And, and it's like a, it's a relationship. So it's mutual learning. Like we learn from our children, they learn from us and all this stuff, but, but the, and how I see my job as a mother is one that I'm the boundary ring around my family. Like I'm the boundary around my kids. So like when we, when I don't really look at like battles between my kids, my daughter and I, like, you know, I say battles, I'm kind of, that's like a big word, but like any kind of like, um, disagreements or hard times or whatever, any of that like conflict stuff with my daughter. I always look at it as like, she's pushing up against a boundary and it's my job to push back one because it creates a strong will for her to be able to have something safe to push against. And then two, like it shows her like, um, you know, it gives her a comfortable, it's like, it's like the feeling of containment is comfortable to, Mm. in a certain, to a certain extent, like, And I learned that a lot in the postpartum period, like this, having a container is really comfortable until we are in a place where we can, you know, create our own container. And then the other thing is like with my family, what I, and I've been doing this in my life for a long time, and it's been really valuable being a mother and a a partner and like being like the head of household or whatever, um, is I am, have always for as long in my life as I can remember, I have always been striving for balance. I'm always looking for harmony. And I'm not talking about balance like it's a perfect flat line. The way I see balance is it's more like harmony, I guess, but it's a constant fluctuation and always trying to find that center point. And, you know, it's like this like beautiful dance. And at this point in my life, I have it pretty, it's it's an art form for me. And it's and I have a pretty good handle on things and am able to keep things pretty balanced. And I get to these points where I am, you know, I I think it's good to question our parenting and question where we're at. And so I get to a point where I'm questioning and I just let it all go. I let that go. And I'm like, I'm just going to let things go and see what happens. And it's just always a shit show. Really? <laughs> Honestly, like if I'm not there to kind of keep everybody, um, in harmony, then it just doesn't work. My, I've watched as my family, just like everybody kind of goes in their own way. And, you know, then all of a sudden we're not eating any meals together. We're not talking to each other. Like we're just existing, coexisting in this space and we're not really a family. And that's not fulfilling for me. And I know it's not fulfilling for my kids and it's not fulfilling for my partner. And my partner doesn't really have the ability to do that yet like to he's getting to the point I think where he's starting to figure out how to help with that but he grew up in a household where that was done for him so he didn't he didn't have to do that and his mother does that and still does that and um so yeah I feel like that our role as a parent is to to educate, to teach, to balance and to teach harmony. And so the conversations my daughter and I have are like, she gets the one thing that she gets is like this. um, I don't really know if it's like, it's just like a yeast overgrowth, I guess. I don't really want to put a label on it because I just don't think that it's helpful at this point, but there's this thing that happens with her digestive system. And um, it just makes her in complete misery. And so when that happens, I'm like, Oh, great. Let's like talk about what you've been eating and what you've been doing, like all of these things. And so now I can say, what do you think is the cause of this? And she'll say, well, you know, I ate way too much fruit today and I it. And so it's like, there's, I don't know if she's just parroting that or if she's really learning it at this point, but, um, I mean, it's really okay, because I'm programming my kid. <laughs> like, I, I don't want her to be programmed by the greater society at large, and I am programming my child. So I'm going to program her with that. Um, but I don't know, there's just so, there's so many conversations that happen. and And, and I talk about we talk a lot about fertility and like lineage and when she doesn't want to eat like pate or something, I'm like, that's cool. Like, it's not for you. It's for your grandkids. Like you have to eat some pate. Like that's just it. Like you need to just try some. And so she'll eat a little bit and that's fine. But things like that. And those really are the things that I think about. Like I'm not just eating good because I want to eat good. I mean, it makes me feel good. And like, I want to have, I want to live as long as I can in the best condition that I can but also I really am thinking about the future generations. Like I'm trying to create like the new, the new, new world order. Like everybody else, all these people are like so unhealthy. They're just going to like die. And then my people are just going to like reign supreme because we're like nutritionally, you know, superior or whatever. I don't know. Um, So we talk a lot about that. Like You know, do you want your teeth to fall out? No, I don't, mom. All right. If you don't want your teeth to fall out, like you're going to have to eat some fish eggs. Like you're going to have to eat some fat. Like, you know, you got to eat this stuff so that your teeth don't fall out. And it's interesting because, like, all of the people in my family have like silver in their mouth and all this stuff. And my daughter asked them, she's like, well, why do you have cavities? Like, why do you have these? And they're just like, oh, you know, it's a totally different answer. Like, oh, it just happens or whatever. And it's like, no, it doesn't just happen. There's a thing. There's a reason why this happens. And we know that there's a reason why this happens. And you can see it happening in people. Like you can see a kid with good teeth and then you let them go down this path of sugar, sugar, sugar. And uh, and speaking of sugar, my relationship with sugar, with sugar has changed as well since my postpartum period, because mm-hmm. I'm the same way, Villainized. it. I, also went to the African-American Museum in Washington, D.C. and saw like the letters that people wrote when they like discovered sugar, like the, you know, the colonialists or whatever, when they uh, or colonizers, whenever they discovered sugar, it was like they were on cocaine. They were like, oh my God, everybody's got to have this. You know, it was just like, and it led them to do horrific things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about white sugar in that okay. point, like refined white sugar. Um, but You know, one of my teachers is Susan Weed and she says, sugar is not actually the problem. The problem is that you're only eating sugar. Like all sugar is doing is stealing from your reserves and not putting anything back like, right? Like white sugar. That's what it does. So Mm -hmm. it's basically, you're using all the minerals in your bones to process this white sugar through your body and you're not putting other nutrition back in your body. And if you're running on sugar all the time, you're never putting nutrition. So it's basically you're creating a a void of nutrition instead of it's not like sugar is necessarily attacking your body though. I feel like it does attack my body, but um, it's just that you're, you're creating deficiency because you're not replenishing the stores in your body. And So in my postpartum period, a lot of the recipes, the traditional recipes that I was using, use things like coconut sugar, honey, maple syrup, all this stuff. And really for the last three years, the only sugar I've really eaten is maple syrup. And so I kind of opened up the door to like, okay, there's this ginger cake with all these spices. It's super warming. It's got oat flour, like super dense, like tons of ghee, and it's got coconut sugar in it and molasses. I'm like, all right, I'm telling you, this cake is. I'm going to have to send you the recipe. It's like completely. Oh my God. It's like the most nourishing, amazing. And everybody, I make it all the time now. And everybody who eats it is just like, Oh my God. Like you, it's like eating, it's like spongy and mm. ugh, it's just amazing. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that was one of the things like, I'm like, this is nourishing me, right? Mm. Like this, it wasn't taking from me. And normally what happens when I eat something with white sugar in it is one, the next day, I feel like I have a hung- hangover. Mm. I always will have, there's this spot in my right shoulder that will get tense and I'll have a kink in my neck and can't turn my head. And mm. And I get um, my joints start aching, so it's very much like an inflammatory thing. So every place in my body that's ever been injured will become inflamed, and I'll have all these aches and pains. And so I really, I mean, and it also gives me brain fog, and it's just like a really bad reaction I have to it. But when I was eating the coconut sugar in this cake, didn't have that issue. When I eat maple syrup, I don't have that issue. Um, So it's like there's a difference of sugar, yeah. And um, but. I don't know where I'm even going with all of this just to say that there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of ground to cover and you, yeah, it's like always experimentation and being open to new ideas mm. and, um, and also being open to like, we're in different places in our lives and our bodies are in different places. Uh-huh. And like, I used to be able to drink wine all the time mm-hmm. and it was great. I had the greatest time, loved it. I drank a tiny sip of wine about two weeks ago. And for three days afterwards, I was like, felt like I got run over by a Mac truck. It's like, I can't drink wine anymore. I just can't. Uh-huh. That's just all there is to it. So at least not at this point, maybe after menopause, I'll be able to, I don't know, but, <laughs> but yeah. So that's all I got at this point.
1: <laughs> well, going back to the, the, are you open to new ideas? What it, <clears throat> what it really kind of took me to was um, how, I mean, I, I can't, I can't tell you how many, I mean, and I feel like a lot of people in the healing spiritual world have this experience, but like how many times have you been in a meditation or a yoga class or some, you know, some form of practice like that, where there's mention of releasing all that which no longer serves you and um and i kind of had this um big aha around it that living uh, that i guess the way that i have conceived of that always has been like there's I'm holding on to conditions. I'm holding on to trauma. I'm holding on to programmed beliefs and conclusions I made when I was little. And, you know, those things, let those things go. Like, I just, can I just release those, you know? And like, yeah, definitely. That's all true. But I never like real-timed it for myself. Like what practices am I currently using that are not for my highest and best or like that are not in service? And And it kind of had me questioning like it brought up the question of you know conviction and faith and trusting a path when even though you can't see the outcome you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel but you just know that like this is the path to go on um and so okay there's a lot of pieces to this okay so one one aspect is that you know in healing it often happens and it was mentioned um in the the freely rooted podcast i just listened to that how Oftentimes when we're going from like some unhealthy program or lifestyle or whatever it is to one that is actually going to be more in alignment with health, there's like, basically it's like the bacterial die off. Like when you, you know, kill a, you know, kill it in your system. And then there's this like explosion of symptoms, um, that it might get worse before it gets better, but that that's a sign of healing. And, and so there's that reality and then there's the reality of how many different things have i done and specifically with food just because that's the nature of this conversation but how like how many diets how many different ways of eating have i done and just lived by i mean really by dogma for a lot of it um or by just you know what somebody told me that this diet was supposed to do or this way of eating or way of living whatever was supposed to do and just being like, but this is what it does, and, you know? And, and then looking at myself and being like, it's not doing that, <laughs> but it does that. So it should do that. So I'm gonna keep going <laughs> because it does that.
0: Yeah, obviously. I,
1: you know, like I have like little like little things, like <clears throat> I've had chapped lips my entire life. And I've done all these different dietary changes and I've, you know, all the animal fats and all the things that are supposed to nourish your hair and nourish your nails and nourish your, you know, all the dryness and whatever. And I'm like, my nails have never been strong. I mean, I have, I have people in my family with like, they're like, like yeah. stone, you know, like yeah. super hard, strong nails. And like, I've had flimsy nails my entire life. I actually, not, maybe they're a little bit harder than they used to be, but like nothing to write home about. And I've had chapped lips my entire life. I did have chapped hands my entire youth. And that is something that did resolve. So I was like, okay, there's that sign, right? But, but these other things, I'm like, what is the under, like, why am I still, I've been doing this for so long. And like, why are some of these things, you know, just not, not happening? And, and so this, are you open to new ideas? concept and then immediately driving home and hearing them talk about how great sugar is. And I was like, oh my God, you know, just really realizing, okay, I've spent a lot of my life and you know, there's, it is what it is, but I've spent a lot of my life in a way dogmatically adhering to, or bandwagoning onto things because I was so, um, like on the one hand, it's this beautiful thing of like, I'm so willing to to put all my eggs in one basket and to really go for it and really believe it and really like want something to work. But this is endemic to my whole life. Like if I look at every relationship I've had, if I, you know, like just that, like, okay, but, but what is reality? What is actually happening right now? And am I willing to just objectively assess what i'm experiencing how i feel what i'm what's happening as a result of this way of eating or you know this relationship or whatever um and is it serving me is it working for me and it's so funny because i distinctly remember i think in our first conversation that you and i ever had at the farmer's market when we met and we were talking about ec and you i think i asked you if you did ec and you were like um, yeah, I do some EC and I'm doing it like, I got diapers and whatever. Like, I just, I'm just doing what works. Like, sometimes I use it. I think you were like a mix of disposable diapers, cloth diapers, and EC. Yeah. And like, I just do what works. And I was like, huh, <laughs> 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 it, <just Novel>. completely, <laughs> it completely, I mean, that's, that's just like, that's so stuck with me. And I have always gone back to that conversation and thought about that and thought about how you were able to like, it's like an ability to hold oneself and to own oneself and to just allow whatever that experience is to be a hundred percent valid and say like, this isn't working for me. I don't care if every, every piece of literature on the face of the earth tells me that this diet does X, Y, and Z. It's not doing X, Y, and Z for me. So it doesn't work for me. It is not serving me. Am I open to the new idea that I could have, that I might be better served by doing something else than what I'm being told is supposed to do the thing that I'm trying to do. Um, And so this whole thing about sugar is fascinating in this whole context for me, because I had uh, like at the beginning of February, I fell on the ice and I landed squarely on my tailbone mm. and then immediately started having digestive issues like that night through for the next like four weeks. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And <laughs> I finally concluded, I think what happened. I like, I, I was like, do I need an adjustment? Did this like pinch or, twi- you know, did something happen or is it just coincidental timing? Um, I still don't have the complete answer to that. But I concluded that it was like, I think it's sauerkraut I made that was actually like a little slimy and funky and I probably just shouldn't have eaten it. (laughs) So note to anybody listening, if you make sauerkraut and it gets slimy and you eat it anyway, mm, you start noticing things, maybe toss the sauerkraut. I just had made like two and a half gallons and I just didn't want to throw it all up. Yeah. So anyway, I ate a gallon of it and I was finally like, okay, you know, that took me four weeks of digestive, super digestive upset and- Yeah. Um, So it's like, what are you willing to let go of? Like, are you even willing to let go of something that isn't serving you? And are you willing to like, actually feel good? Are you willing to embrace the possibility that there's a better future out there for you? And that even if people are telling you that something is supposed to be one thing, but it's not your experience, can you, how, you know, can you honor that? Are you willing to honor that and, and trust that more than what somebody else is telling you? And so this, experience with sugar, what ended up happening was I went like food crazy for, I don't know. I think I, I think I was in the middle of it on the, on our last podcast. I was, I had, it had just started. Um, and I was like eating way more chocolate, like, like crazy chocolate, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what was happening. So much chocolate and so many plantain chips, just like, I was, I don't know. I chocolate and plantain chips were the thing. And then I'm listening to this podcast this morning, driving back to my house after this Kundalini yoga class, the same podcast where she's talking about how great sugar is. And they were talking about, cause it was, it's the podcast called Are, are You Living Off Stress Hormones? And they specifically mentioned how when people are under stress, they tend to crave things like chocolate and chips, salt and fat. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh my God. So what, what happened was, I ended up like through this slimy sauerkraut putting my body under such a level of stress because it was like maybe such a toxic overload or whatever, such you know, bacterial overload that my body just couldn't deal that it was trying to get like, I I was probably leaching minerals or losing minerals from this and, you know, or not absorbing minerals from the food that I was eating maybe because my bacteria was so thrown off in my gut um, that I was, under an immense amount of digestive physical stress. And so I was trying, my body was telling me like, eat more chocolate, eat plantain chips, which, you know, plantain chips, a lot of potassium probably because they're a banana family. Um, And trying to manage this stress by getting me to crave the things that would hopefully, you know, potentially re-nourish me. Um, And so for me, listening to this podcast, I was like, oh, okay. That's what happened. Cause once I stopped eating the sauerkraut, I'm like, I don't really need to eat as much chocolate. I mean, I eat some cause I like it, but it's not like gotta have a chocolate now, you know, like, and I gotta have it again. And then I gotta have it again. And I'm like, I'll eat a handful of plantain chips and be good. But I've also chilled out on food and started to eat. Like I have, t- I bought like, I don't know, 80 pounds of peaches last year and, and dried a ton of them. Most of them in slices and fruit leather. And I've just been eating that. And I'm actually pretty sure that's the only major like sugar up increase that I've made in the last week. And I feel like a completely different person. I am chill. I feel good. I'm not, I don't have these like crazy obsessive things about food. I feel like totally like way more relaxed. I'm not going to say totally relaxed. I'm probably neurotic in some ways still, but (laughs) like way more relaxed around food and way more relaxed with my kid around food. And just like way more relaxed in general. (laughs) Like maybe I needed sugar. Yeah. Maybe I needed some sugar. Yeah. And I'm, and the other piece of it that they talk about is how your body suddenly begins to like, look, I mean, they're, they're, this is very much like a podcast that women listen to and they, they really speak to women, although there are, you know, men listen to it too. And there's stuff for men on there, but it's really heavily for women. Um, at least that's my assessment of it. Uh, forgive me if you ever listen to that podcast, or you know, or if the if the Women of Freely Rooted podcast ever listen to this one, and I'm like totally off base. But um, is that you like become more womanly in your form? Like you, may, like they talk about you know your hair filling in and your lips filling in and your I I don't know if they spoke, talked about breast filling in, but I've heard that. And like you get you know you get more bulk in shapely ways and. Um, and I've also experienced that, (laughs) like, this is so interesting. You know, like we're told you just all the, all the programming that we have around being women and how, like, I, and I've had two conversations in the last 24 hours with women about this, about how beauty is frivolous in all ways, like us beautifying ourselves, us, you know, beautifying the world growing beautiful things for the sake of them being beautiful, doing, creating beauty for the sake of beauty. You know, this whole idea of that being so diminished, you know, so like cast aside is is like so unimportant because it's not productive. It doesn't get anywhere. It doesn't accomplish anything, right? Um, And I'm like, this is so interesting that the, like the paradigm of health and wellness that I have uh, aligned with, I mean, it's not, like, I I mean, the traditional women that you look at in the Weston A. Price book pictures, like they're very formally, you know, like very shapely. It's not like they're, you know, like lean runner, runner women, body types, like really, you know, like that's not happening there, but, um, but the way that I had kind of taken it and run with it was so masculinely driven, you know, and I was like, sweet. I'm, you know, I'm super lean and I'm, my stomach is flat and I'm, muscular and i'm like you know i can go and i can go and i can go and i can do 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 and um you know to each their own and and this is not said with any judgment but just an awareness of my ideal that i aspired to was to basically like fit into the smallest space possible and have no shape (laughs) or like have just have just the like the fittest, tiniest little shape, you know, and I did, and I was like, "Sweet, I feel so good, I feel so sexy, I feel so whatever." And then, and so this is like turning everything on its head in this really great, exciting way. Like I don't have to fit anywhere except in my own body, and yeah. I don't have to look any particular way, and I don't have to be perfect (air quotes, whatever that is). Um, but I really had this. I really had this aesthetic idealized for like what my body was supposed to be. And, and so this way of eating that's like, not only are you gonna feel really good cause you're gonna like have pleasure in eating and you're gonna be nourishing your cells on a cellular level or you know, you're gonna nourish your body on a cellular level and you're gonna regulate your hormones and like things are just gonna flow and move and be easier and like everything's gonna feel better but you're also going to fill out and like, as a woman, you know, and it's like, it's like to me, I don't know, to me, that's very exciting and very, um, I feel like countercultural, which just lends itself to being like, maybe more aligned with reality, you know, <laughs> with like a way I want to go, but, and, but more, um, like if, if eating in a particular way creates a body that seems to um, fill out in the ways that that body was meant to. That seems to make sense to me, you know? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, there's so many things I can say. First thing I want to say is going back to that, what you're saying, the first conversation we had about like doing whatever works with EC and for people who don't know what EC is, it's elimination communication, Mm -hmm. which is like basically infant potty training. Um, yeah, that sums up my entire parenting strategy. I think about that every day. Whatever works, whatever works. And I go through, I mean, I was just talking to a girlfriend. I was like, my daughter was freaking out the other day. And I was like, tried all these things. I was like, hey, you want to have some fun? And she was just like, "Ma, poo-pooed me. And I was like, all right, like, let's have, I'll give you some hot cocoa. You know, like that always cheers you up. And she was like, "Ma." And finally I swatted her butt. I was like, all right, I'm going to give you a spanking right now so that you like snap out of this. And I swatted her butt like, you know, I did all the things, right. It's like what, and like nothing worked. So then I finally decided that nothing worked. And I just like, I like let her be grouchy and like let her have her bad day or whatever. But yeah, it's so funny. That is totally my parenting strategy. And I learned that from teaching. It's like, whatever works to like create peace and harmony, like let's do it. Um, but then the other thing, you know, like the body thing is so huge. Like all of these it's just been proven to me over and over from just research and um, experimentation for so long with this food thing that all of these diets, they're like created by men, for men. And you know, it's just like with all the medicine, like all the pharmaceuticals, all of them, 100% of pharmaceuticals are experimented on and tested on rats that are male. So for male, for the male species, all everything. So and then 60% of all pharmaceutical reactions in the human population happen to women. So you don't tell me there's not a correlation there. Right. Like that. And that's like, we hear this all the time. Like this is created for men, for men, this whole world is created for men. And I won't go too far off on that. Cause I'll just get on my soapbox about that. But, um, but that's just the truth of the matter. Like all of these diets, like they're all created by the masculine, like the, like, you know, being fit and fitting into small spaces and all that stuff. That's what it amounts to for women. Um, and it's all BS. And I don't know if you, I've sent you that, um, there was a class that Rochelle Garcia Saliga just did on mother foods. And they talk mm-hmm. about this in there. Um, you know, what you were saying about this, the stress in the body and her, the woman who taught the class with her Carly Ray Bodry. um, she said this really profound thing about like fat and nourishment and all of this stuff. She said, if your body it doesn't, feel safe in itself because of you're taking care of it, then you're always gonna be running on stress hormones. You're never gonna be able to, like everything's gonna be whack. But she said, you know, if you wake up and within 60 minutes your body, you don't eat every morning and your body doesn't know when it's gonna get its next meal, that puts your body under stress. Your body's freaking out. And so that like gives you, you know, she's like, if you don't eat fat, then your body doesn't know that it's gonna get sustenance And if it's only running on sugar, then it's this, like, it's a different kind of energy. It is, um, you know, so she's like, talks about that. Like, if you don't make your body feel safe, just with the food that you eat, like comfort foods, which is what I cook a lot of is just like what I kind of a healthier version of what I grew up with, like really rich, nourishing, simple and bland though foods. Um, And those to me are just so enriching. Like my favorite meal is roast chicken with white basmati rice and roasted vegetables, root vegetables. Like that to me is like the ultimate, if I'm having like a hard time, that's the meal I go to and I put tons of ghee and tons of salt on it. And like, it's just perfect for me. So like having those comforting foods, it makes us feel safe. And so that's the first place. Like we have to make ourselves feel safe before we can go out in the world And you know, I know that you've experienced this and probably everybody listening is, when you have a morning, say you didn't eat breakfast and you had like a coffee or cacao drink, like this happens to me if I have cacao in the morning and don't put fat in it. And then you go out in the world, like grocery shopping, Fucking crazy! It's like uh, I'm gonna ram my card into you. Like what's you know? It's just like insanity, right? Like it's just I get home and I just have to pass out and go to sleep because it was just too taxing. But if I like eat some fat for breakfast and then I like go about and do my do my daily chores out in the world, I'm like this is cool. I'm so calm. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's like finding that. And I'm not saying like it has to be a certain diet or anything, but just finding that. That works for your body and that happens through experimentation and like that is really important like knowing what is your safety net when it comes to like nourishment and food and there's other things that are outside of food that that like for me it's baths like that's Mm -hmm. my reset it makes me feel really safe to be in warm water and so if I'm ever feeling stressed Mm -hmm. out or like um, afraid, I go get in the bathtub and I just, I close the curtain and I like sit in the bathtub in the warm water. So just knowing these things about ourselves is really important. And then also eating, like trying that whole, the woman body thing. Like I did not, until I turned 30, I didn't have, I, I mean, I always had curves, but I was very, very petite. I was like a hundred pounds, you know I mean? I'm right now, I don't know. I'm probably, close to like a 145, 150, somewhere around there. So imagine me like 45 or 50 pounds lighter. That's how I went all through like high school, all through my twenties, just super tiny. And I was a vegetarian and high raw, like all of that stuff, you know, and I was doing all of these things that were supposed to make me healthier. And yet I kept shrinking and I wouldn't leave the house and I was stiff. Like my body literally wouldn't move. I have done yoga for 25 years now. So at that point it was like 15 years and I couldn't like bending down to touch my toes was excruciating. Like I could do it and I could do all these yoga, yoga poses, but it was like, it felt like my muscles were ripping apart every time I did it. And I finally was like, something is not right. Um, I couldn't figure it out. And then I started eating meat when I was, uh, 31, I think. And it totally, I was like, wow, like, this is totally like, this is what I needed, you know? But I noticed like, it took me about five years of eating meat, like so much meat, like pounds of bacon to now when I'm not breastfeeding and or pregnant, like my regular, like kind of way that I eat now is a lot of vegetables cooked really long vegetables and a little bit of grains and but mostly meat and vegetables and i i really will only eat meat like a couple of times a week so it's a high highly vegetarian diet that i will that i naturally gravitate to when I'm not breastfeeding. Right now I'm breastfeeding and there's just not enough meat in the world. There's not enough fat in the world. I'm just like, I eat three breakfasts, honestly. I've eaten like three times already. It's like before noon and I've eaten three huge meals already. So that's a whole different thing. So honoring to the woman body, this is what I've learned about having a woman body is that it's constantly changing constantly changing. And if it's not, then that's probably a problem. Because if you think about it, we have three puberties basically in our life. Like everybody talks about like the one puberty you go through when you start your menses or whenever you're a guy and your voice drops and all that stuff, you get the hormones, but becoming you have these huge metabolic shifts at that point. And then whenever you become a mother, and then whenever you go through menopause. So for women, we basically have three puberties. It's these three huge hormonal shifts. So like, we're not the same. I'm not the same person I was when I was 25 at all. And I'm not going to be the same person when I'm 60 or 65, when I go through menopause or, you know, get past that point. Like we're just, we have, we're constantly in flux. And that's the thing. When you look at divine feminine and divine masculine, like the masculine is in a lot of ways unchanging and the feminine is constantly Mm. and that's gets demonized. Like, Oh, women can't make up their mind and they're always in flux. And it's like, that is actually beauty that that's our beauty, right? Like that we are constantly because if the world would be fucking shit, if it was the same all the time, like, Oh, I've lived that life. Like I lived with a super masculine man who could not never changed anything, the same routine all the time. And it's, killing it is not life it is not life giving it is not nourishing to life it is a death program it is awful and um and you know the other thing too that like the beauty like it's people make it out to be nothing but anybody who's seen something beautiful so beautiful it makes you cry beauty is medicine and if that's our power like That's, I know that's one of my powers is making things beautiful, making my home beautiful, doing beautiful things in the world, singing a beautiful song, like all of these things. I have been able to make people cry with my voice when singing, like what? Like that's a super powerful thing to be able to evoke emotions from people in an emotionless world, you know, like in a world that says like you have to be plastic and you can't have any feelings. It's a superpower and so to me beauty is like the strongest medicine and it gets relegated to the back burner because like art people think it think it's unimportant because art is unimportant it's not though art like feeds culture art makes people it just it just makes everything better and anybody who's an artist knows that like what happens to you when you're creating art or when you see a beautiful piece of art it's just it's magic and it's totally valid and probably more important than just about anything else in the world, even though it seems so minuscule. And I mean, so much of, of women's work is, it's like invisible, and it's ordinary, and it's all the stuff that has to happen to keep life going. And you can see a family where the mother is not um, at her best or is not like in charge, or you can see, you can tell when you look at that family, and there's a lot of unhappiness in that family. And I see it all, I mean, I'm around a lot of really big families all the time. And I just see that when there's not harmony, when mom's not happy, ain't nobody happy, like that saying is totally true. Um It's just... I don't know i just think that i have so much love for women obviously not just because i'm a woman but i love spending time with women i think women are beautiful i love the woman's body oh and another thing i was going to say about the women's body thing is when i turned 30 i went on this uh somewhere around that time i went on a float trip with women of all different ages you know from 20 to 50 and we went on a float trip and we all went skinny dipping on this river and that to me was such an eye opener about women's bodies because I looked at all those women and they were, these are women that I loved and they were so beautiful. Their bodies were so beautiful. They had sagging breasts, they had tight breasts, they had full hips or no hips, like all different kinds of bodies. And, Like that's another thing. We're not allowed to be naked with each other. So we don't know like what an actual woman's body looks like or man's Mm -hmm. body. Like we're not allowed to be naked in general with people. So we can't see what it actually looks like to be a woman. Mm -hmm. And like when you see other women's bodies and you're like, oh, they have flaws too. So I can let myself have flaws. And they're like curvy and what I would think would look bad on me, I love about them, right? Like, wow, look at her boobs. They're like, I remember seeing this documentary about these women in Africa and they have these saggy boobs. And I had always been taught to wear a bra and keep them up high, you know? My mom still says this. And I'm like letting my boobs hang free now because I saw those women's boobs and they just took their boob and like passed it over to their baby to feed it. I was like, that is cool. And I can do that now. Like I can do that with my kid. So like that is to me, it's just so beautiful. And it's a different, completely different mindset than than what we are brought up to have. And mm. I don't know. I think it's reality as we are intended to be, you mm. know, as we were created on this earth. Like we are... The, we are life. We're the bringers of life. Like we, if we want to have abundance in this world and to have a fruitful life, like we have to be abundant and fruitful and like mm-hmm. have all the hips and all the butts and all the thighs and all the boobies, like have it all just <laughs> out there and big and swinging around and like, oh man, like some of the most powerful women I've ever met would be called obese by, you know, medical standards. They're just these huge women, but they knew like they just owned it. Right. They mm-hmm. were just like, yeah, look at me. And Uh, Oh my gosh! One last story. (laughs) So another story. So after I had my first daughter, I had a couple of girlfriends there, and I pushed the baby out. And as soon as I was done pushing her out, my other girlfriend came in, just this bodacious big woman, you know, with these huge boobs. And she sat behind me on the bed, and she said, "Just lean on me, honey, and push the placenta out." And so I leaned back on her, and I was like, "Oh." girl, your boobies are so cozy. Like I just cuddled right up into her and she just thought it was the funniest thing. But I was like, wow, this is woman is so comforting to me right now. Like to be all wrapped in her juiciness was like, oh, so there, that's what I have to say about that. I'm all for juicy women. And also I'm an American girl, right? So it's hard for me. It's like, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh man, my butt's sagging on that side, like I'm a little <laughs> thicker over here, whatever. I get it. Like, you I know, know it's not easy, but you have to fight that battle every day.
1: Well, but that's what it is. Like that's, that's what this has had me really get into. And I mean, I had a, I had a really big conversation around this yesterday, but that, you know, just feeling, feeling like I've, I've, I've made so many strides. I've done so much work around this, um, in the last, I don't know. I mean, I took a Kim course. Um, she's a holistic sex and relationship coach for anyone who hasn't heard of her. Um, interesting stuff, but I took her, I took her vaginal Kung Fu course like four years ago, almost four years ago. And so maybe that was kind of the start of it, but, um, and, be, and living in Hawaii with, in these, you know, clothing optional communities where I did get an opportunity to see a lot of different people. Um, but it's really, so I like, I've been doing, I've been on this journey of um, connecting with my divine feminine and, and reclaiming my, um, <laughs> speaking of whipping out boobies. <laughs> um reclaiming my femininity um i and i just have been i guess thinking like I, i i look at myself and i see that i have have come a long way but um realizing that i still i still carry that we all as women just every every you know, women's group or anything that I've participated in anywhere, it always comes up of these negative stories that we have about ourselves, um, about our appearances and how we're looking at each other. And and I I know that I somehow convinced myself it's like, oh, I'm I'm beyond that. I don't I don't have those same insecurities or those same vanities or whatever it is. But I don't have it because I'm like I've achieved the body that I know that I wanted and that other people want. So I'm like I I. I did it. I did the thing that I'm supposed, like I'm supposed to do, right? Like they were all trying to do. Like, and I, I don't know. In the end, in the beginning of December last year, I got really sick, and so I, I was living in a house of people who take fasting as the approach for illness, which I actually really appreciated at the time. Um, but I, I also just didn't feel like I could eat a lot, so I ended up fasting one day and then didn't eat very much for a couple of days and then fasted for three days. And then, you know, it's an integration process after that of being able to eat again. And, and I just couldn't eat very much. And so I, there was this like period of let's say two weeks where I just didn't eat a whole lot. And then I fasted again for a day, I think. Um, and so I lost like all my body fat and I, <laughs> uh, man, Um, yeah, I lost all my body fat and I remember looking at myself in the mirror and just like appreciating how incredibly skinny I was. (laughs) I was like, no, and I don't think I even had the thought of like, oh, that's not healthy. I was like, no, cool. Fasting is great. (laughs) You know? And then I, the guy that I was dating at the time, he, I mean, I think he was concerned because I had lost a lot of weight and was quite thin. Um, But he made a comment about my thigh gap, which he's the second man in my life to make a comment about the thigh gap, which I'm assuming all of you listening have an awareness of what that is. But if you don't, it's when a woman stands with her legs together and you can see up at her crotch, a space between her thighs, like that there is no touching of the thighs. Um, And this is something that I think is... Uh, I mean, not necessarily a healthy thing. Um, you know, if your, if your body just naturally does that, whatever. But I, I, I think it's used as a, as a barometer of perfection or of how thin a woman is um, or how thin she's supposed to be. And I was very put off by that comment. Um, but then also like, yeah, I got a thigh gap. <laughs> I got the thigh gap again, you know? And, um, yeah, so I just, I, I, that whole period of time. And then because I, I don't know, I have found in my experience, at least when I dropped a lot of weight really fast, it's a lot easier to just stay that way because of how I eat. So then I can kind of go back to how I was eating and it doesn't, because I eat in a way that doesn't, like, I don't tend to put on a weight that like, if, if I, And at whatever weight I'm at, then I go back to how I eat and I kind of can maintain it, um, pretty easily. And, and so then I just kept this like very skinny, lean looking body, um, for maybe two months. And I was just like, this is great. I love this. I feel so good again. Finally, I have this body back that like, I have like skin sensitivity and clothes bother me when I have more bulk on my body I feel things more and then it's harder for me to be as comfortable you know Um, and so I've just I've carried this like I gotta be super skinny in order for clothes to not bother me and then in order for me emotionally to feel okay in my body and for me to like go out in public and feel like I'm rocking it and feel like I feel okay in my body all of these things like even sharing them now feels really vulnerable because it's like No, I don't think those thoughts, I don't, I don't carry those insecurities around my body. I don't think I'm supposed to, like, I just, (laughs) here's uh, uh, the ultimate vulnerable share. Like, I just think I'm perfect, right? (laughs) I think my body is perfect because it's exactly what it's supposed to be. And I want it to stay that way. And, and, and so this whole process that I went through around the slimy sauerkraut and the eating a ton of food, I, I bulked back up and like, more so, I think than I was, you know, before I fasted several months ago. Um, but it's come with this, this, the l- having to look at the baggage around it, and then it's come with this new perspective of what I'm try- actually wanting to get with my body. What you know, what I'm really want to go for with my body, and like this whole time where I think, like, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm connecting with my divine feminine and wanting to unfold into that in all these ways and be sensual and in my body and and all this stuff and seeing women like the woman you described you know seeing these women who are just full and voluptuous and just yes just full in the most beautiful way very in their bodies and and look like what you were saying, like, oh, that looks so beautiful on you, but it won't look good on me. Like, I can't do that. I can only be this like lean, tiny little thing. (laughs) And that's the only way that I will look good. Um, And so kind of rebuilding the relationship with like what I think my body is and what it's supposed to be and how it looks good and how it can look good in different shapes and sizes. And that's like a whole new conversation for me in my head because all this time, I'm like, yeah, I want that, but I wanted only like this where I stay really skinny. And then somehow I like, am this bodacious, whatever woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, there, that's a, it's interesting because something that happens to me um, when I get pregnant, apparently it's a thing it's happened twice now. Um, is that when I'm pregnant, like all, it's like all my weight shifts to my belly. And so I, like my arms get really thin, my wrists get super tiny. Like, and with my first daughter, it was, uh, I really didn't eat during my pregnancy. I was so sick the whole time. Um, that I just, I thought it was because I just wasn't eating or whatever. And, um, And with this pregnancy, it was different. Like I ate all the time, but the same thing happened or whatever. And then what happens right afterwards is I give birth and I'm super spelt. Like I'm like thin, you know, like my mom was saying, and it was the same kind of thing you're talking about. My mom was actually saying... I'm sure everybody hears the baby, but, um, she's having a great time down here. But, uh, my mom was like, oh my gosh, you don't even look like you were having, and I could hear her saying these things. And Mm -hmm. this is like, she's the one that gave me these, a part of the reason why I had issues when I was younger with the way I looked because she makes these comments. Right. So I know now to like block them out, but she's like, oh my God, you don't even look like you have a baby. And I knew I had an idea of what was going to happen that like, I was probably going to fill back out. And, but at the time, both times. I guess I didn't really have a body awareness around it with my first child. But with this one, because I had been doing all of this postpartum training and stuff, I knew that I needed to put on some weight and that was probably going to happen because I needed to feed another human. Um, and so, and, and then I'm also doing all of this manipulation of my body, like this postpartum healing stuff, like abdominal massage and like steaming and, um, just doing like the closing of the bones and all of these things for my body to heal my body. So as I'm doing these things, like the abdominal massage, for example, I mean, it was weird Like you're empty. You're comp- It was like, I was a, basically a hollowed out human. And so I'm like moving my organs around, right. In this empty space. And so I'm like, okay, like I'm basically negative right now, like I'm depleted because that's how you are after you give birth you're depleted and so you want to replenish yourself right and so it was interesting doing abdominal massage every day for like two months how my belly changed and like now i can feel my belly and it's like i mean i'm bigger but it's so much strong. My muscles have come back together. My organs have moved back to place, but there was like times when I was massaging and it was like, <clears throat> like all this watery stuff. And I'm like, I don't like Sam would be like, what is going on? I was like, I don't think that's normal. I don't know what's happening, but there's some liquid floating around in there, but it was just everything coming back together. Right. And so, you know, in those days I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to like wear these clothes and like rock this, super thin body because whatever. But then the weight came, like I gained the weight and I filled out and all of these things. And they're definitely, and and also the postpartum period is in pregnancy and all that is an interesting time too, because you're constantly morphing, like your body just morphs all the time. And so riding that, If I wouldn't have done all the work up till this point in my life on body image stuff, like I can just imagine like women who haven't done that work and they're just like, what is going on? Feeling like crap about yourself, wanting to get back to normal, but it's like, sorry, honey, you're never going back to how you were. It's just, you're a different person. Your body's a different body. Your hips are always going to be wider, like all of these things. And, um, Yeah, I don't know. It's just really, and even, even doing all the work that I've done, I still have those little voices in the back of my head. That's like, oh man, like your belly's poochy. And when I had my first daughter, I remember I've always had a really flat stomach. That was just something that was natural. I always have had a strong core. And so after I had her and I had a pooch, I was like really proud of it for a long time. I was like, wow, look at my cute little belly. Like I had a baby in there and like, look at it. I was totally into it. And so this time it's interesting to note that I'm not like, I look at it. I'm just like, Oh man, is it going to stay like that? You know? But then like having to reprogram myself and tell myself like, this is perfect. Like I love myself. Like this is beautiful. All of these things. And it also helps that my partner, it doesn't matter how, like the more weight I gain, he's like, yeah, you know, like he's (laughs) totally into it. Like I can't keep him (laughs) off of me. You know, I'm like, okay. So it helps to have that, like have somebody that's like into it as opposed to, I can't imagine women who are with men who are like, must be lean. Like it must be torture. But so I have enough things in place that I can combat that, um, that whole programming or whatever, but it is hard. Like it's hard to, because we don't have enough images of, beautiful, bountiful, healthy women that are like thick and, you know, and I mean, especially like with white women, you know, I'm using air quotes. I hate, I hate these terms, but when you go into other women's, like if you go to like a Latina, like community or like with a bunch of Latina women or with black women, you know, being skinny is not the thing. Like it's not, it's not like cherished like it is with, with white women. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's a totally different thing. This shrinking yourself. I just don't know. It's just awful. And I'm over it. And I want all women to be over it and let's move on to something else because it's just my mom, my mom is like getting up to 60 and she's still like, I have to tell her around my kids, like she can't talk like this to herself because she voices it out loud, looks in the mirror. Oh God, look at my stomach. I mean, says these things out loud. It's one thing to think them, but like saying it out loud is like, wow you must really hate yourself. And so I have to check her all the time. And when she's here, I'm like, mom, you can't say that you got two granddaughters. Like you cannot say that in front of my kids. Like you cannot talk about yourself like that way. Like, or I'll say things like, why do you hate yourself? Like you should love yourself. And so I talked to my daughter about that. And I think I mentioned the lapse episode. Like she was, a, my daughter was around a friend who was super thin and she was like, I don't, she was really upset and crying. I don't like my legs because they're too fat or too chunky. And, um, it's just awful, you know, and we already internalize these things on our own as Mm -hmm. women. And then there's Mm -hmm. all this stuff that's pushing it at us all the time. And it really honestly takes a really strong woman to not succumb to these temptations of shrinking yourself. You know, like Mm -hmm. you have to be really willful and really defiant and like really confident. And it's a lot, it's a lot of work. It's really hard. Um, I know it's really hard and, That would be my, my prayer for all women is that we could just get over that shit and just like own it, you know, like nourish your body, take care of your body, love your body. And if you're nourished and healthy and all these things and you're thick, like cool. And if you're nourished and healthy and all these things and you're thin, like cool, like just accept how your body wants to be and just love it as it is, you know, I don't know. It's just so much so much. And it's, yeah, really I feel painful. like there's
1: like six other episodes that came out of what you were just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just one thing that I want to mention, cause it seems very appropriate to this conversation is that the one time in my life where I had a very different relationship to all of this was when I was pregnant and then immediately, you know, in the postpartum period, but it, I'm just reflecting on that time now through this the lens of this conversation and where we've come to in it, and realizing that what I thought was actually—I mean, it was—I had a, I developed a better perspective on it, but it was still this. It was through a functional, accomplishment, purposeful, um, achievement-focused perspective of the like the overculture, which was I'm like I'm pregnant. I'm, I'm like, my number one job is to nourish myself. And then big time postpartum breastfeeding, it was like, like this entire period is about nourishment. And I was obsessed with nourishing and I was just eating and eating and eating and eating. And I wasn't getting really big. I was eating really good nourishing food, but I was, I think I was, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I re-normal, you know, Eric quotes, re-normalized pretty quickly Um, but I, I had this perspective on my body as like, I don't have to care about anything else or, you know, like I just remember going to the grocery store and being in line behind this woman who, you know, like at the deli or whatever. And she was saying something about like getting back to her old size. And I
0: was like, no.
1: Like you just had a baby. Like you just need to be nourishing your body. That's the only focus. And, you know, I really do believe that if you're nourishing your body, your body is going to be the, you know, like you're saying, like it'll be the right weight for you. And it's probably not going to be super, super overweight because like your body's optimally operating. And so it's going to be like in this good, happy place all around. Um, and so, but I looked at my body I, I'm just realizing like, yes, I had this great focus on nourishment and yes, I wasn't like trying to lose weight and trying to get the body back and all that stuff. But it was like, ah, finally, my body has a purpose. And finally, like, like I, it doesn't, that that I'm, I'm, it's really hard to explain. I don't think I've ever tried to put this into words, but that it's like my, uh, all of my energy is towards this function. You know, like my breasts now have a purpose. And so who cares like what they look like or whatever, like I'm creating life with this. And so it's like, that's the whole thing. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm a woman and I'm so full. And I'm like, you know, if fully realized in my womanhood and from becoming a mother and breastfeeding this baby and all this stuff. It was like, I have this purpose. And so once that kind of went by the wayside, I found myself, like I started, I started swing dancing again, um, very like towards the last couple of months, like I night weaned and I was able to go swing dance. And then like shortly thereafter, just completely weaned, like at three years old. And I- You know, so I like carried that for a long time. And then when I was done, I was like, nope, this is all mine now. And then like, once it became that it was just, my body was me and it didn't have a purpose beyond me for this human. It was this little human, you know, it was like, oh, all of that, like womanly, whatever thing like went out the window. And I was like, back to like, nope, now I got to like lean out again and be this tiny little body. And I was like, what? I thought I was a woman, <laughs> you know, and then I just went right back and have cycled through it without even realizing it. Like I really just in this whole, you know, fasting, you know, last couple months time frame that I was mentioning, like only in the last couple months have I really even really become aware of my,
0: all my shit around this. So, so yeah, it's so, oh man, not just that whole purpose thing was big for me, not necessarily around the body thing. Yes, it was there with the body, but just in general, having Mm. like a purpose in life. I mean, I had anxiety all through my twenties and into my thirties until I, until I, um, became a mom. And then I, I looked at that, like why all of a sudden my anxiety is gone. And it was because I had a purpose Mm. on this earth, right? Like I have a purpose before it was like, I was making my purpose. So I always worked with kids and it's like subconsciously, probably I knew that like the only really valuable thing for me to do with my life is to work with children, to work with women. Like I always knew on some level that like, that was good work, right. In the world. But when I had my own child, I realized like, It was a lot of that was tied up with feeling like I had a purpose as a woman in this world. And when I had that purpose, you know that's been an evolving thing you know and like never having anxiety again because oh all, all of a sudden i realized like all of my anxiety was wrapped up in me feeling like a complete fucking loser of a human being and having no purpose of being on this earth like why am i even here you know because i'm not doing anything really good if i'm not procreating and like taking care of children and on some level it's like that is super valuable work right like and and i'm not going to say that that's like I don't know, kind of in a way I think it is the most valuable work just because it's like, it's the most powerful work because you're like um, forming the next, the future of the world, right? Like you're shaping the future of the world. So it's super valuable. And I'm not at all saying that like every woman has to do that to be valuable. Obviously, this is like a messed up, (laughs) this is like a mindfuck, like really big, you know, this whole thing living in this world as a woman. But um, yeah, like there's just that thing of, of feeling like you matter here in this world. And I remember I had these arguments with my partner after we had our daughter because we moved from the city to an agricultural world, which is very traditional and it's very much different from how we run our household in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of the women just are not seen or heard. You know, it's like when you're dealing with people business-wise, you're dealing with men. And because we moved here and we started a business and it was a farming business and agriculture, it's like that's, you know, I was like there in my childhood again where I grew up in this like male-dominated world. And I was like, I don't want to be doing the things that the women are doing because that all sucks. Like I want to be doing what the men are doing. So I was like a tomboy. But being in that world again with my partner, I mean, I would have like serious like fits and just like cry and just be yelling at him. I'm like, you don't have any fucking clue what it's like to be completely pointless to be here. Like my life is pointless. I don't matter shit to this world. Like I don't matter. I might as well be dead. And he would be like, what? Like, and I couldn't feel his sincerity when he was saying like, you do actually matter. Like, I need you to be here. Like, you know, all of these things. I couldn't hear that because all I could see and feel was this external world that was just reinforcing to me that I don't matter like my only job is to sit here with this kid and to not speak and not contribute anything to the world and damn me if I am a strong-willed independent you know outspoken woman that's what I always got called as a kid was oh she's really outspoken you know like outspoken like how about I just speak you know like I just speak and I just say what I think like how about that you know um and just the, uh, the all those feelings are kind of coming back to me now of just how shitty I felt about myself, just like so awful. And um, you know, once again, I I can't imagine a less resourced woman going through those things. How awful and horrible and challenging that must be. And um, it's just I finally just had to once again, validate myself. Like I have to, which is always what it comes back to. Like nobody's ever going to validate me. I have to validate myself. And lucky for me, I had already done all this stuff once before as a child. And so I just remembered, oh, right. Like if I want that guy to respect me, I'm just going to have to like, you know, do the things that men do or whatever. And then finally I grew out of that and I was like, no, I'm just going to be a badass woman and they're just going to respect me because I'm amazing. And that's just all there is to it. And just validating myself that my existence, just being here is enough. And like, I'm here for a purpose. I may not know that purpose, but God knows that purpose. And that's all that matters, right? Like it's fine. So just continually validating myself, got me to the place where I am now, which is like, I don't give a shit what these men around here think about me. Like I go to these things, I say what I want, I do what I want. I get funny looks all the time and I just don't care. Like, I'm like, I I, I don't care because I'm going to exist in this world and you're just going to have to all deal with it. And um, it's just like... Sorry, but I didn't make me this way. Like, I do my work every day and like this is just how I can't not be this way. I can't. I can't not be this way. Just like a butterfly can't not be a butterfly and a bear can't not be a bear. Like I just have to be this way. It's just it just is. It's innate. It's who I am. <laughs> you know the farmer
1: Joel Salatin? He mm-hmm. um he has a farm called Polyface Farms for anyone listening in Virginia, I think. North Carolina, Virginia, um, and he's all about polyculture farming, and and he talks. He's written a bunch of books, and he talks about it in, in it about the pigness of the pig and the chickenness of the chicken, like letting the creatures be who they are. Which is <laughs> like what it all comes down to, right? Like raising your kids to be who they are, letting your children be who they are, letting ourselves be who we are. But man, when you said like. I'm not going to apologize that I exist. You just have to deal with it. Or I I don't know exactly the words you used, but that hit me so hard (laughs) because I do exist. You do exist. We all, every single individual, one of us exists and it's nobody else's business about it. Like no one has to apologize for the fact that, that however you believe it happens you know, whether you believe your soul chose it and you had the, you know, the agreement with your parents or what, whatever it is, like we're all here. We all chose to exist or we are existing. We choose to continue to exist. And for that fact alone, we have the right to exist. Like we get to exist because we're here. Like you would, and, but, but it's so interesting because of how, I mean, I would say, especially, you know, Western culture looks at, all other life, it's that we are God and we get to choose who lives and who dies, who has a right to exist and who doesn't. Like, I can go into my land and look around and be like, I'm just going to cut all of these trees down because I just decide that they shouldn't be there. Like, no, you don't get to do that. But that's what we think we get to do. And then we do that with each other. We cut each other down in the same way. We don't eliminate life. I mean, some people eliminate life, but we don't you know, generally we don't eliminate life, but we cut each other down. We cut people to the core. We, 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 you know, pull the rug out from underneath other people as our way of, you know, telling each other that you don't have a right to exist. It's like, no, actually nobody else gets to tell you that. Nobody gets to tell you that because it's, it's not true because you are here. And because you are here, you get to be here. Wow,
0: mm, that was big. Nobody better say nothing about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, and it's, you know, having kids, like I see this with my daughter and she's going into the world, like meeting new kids who are, who are um, raised in an environment where they're, they're meant to be invisible and, or, you know, whatever, like just raised in a, and I'm not saying that I don't do things to negate my daughter or whatever. Like I'm, you know, work in progress too, but there are far more you know, she's interacting with kids who are in a far worse situation as far as that goes. And, you know, things get said to her, like, um, you know, she asked this girl at the park the other, like a couple months ago, like, um, hey, you want to be my friend? She's like following this girl around. The girl wouldn't talk to her, you know, and uh, she's like, hey, you want to be my friend? And the girl literally like, I mean, the same age as my daughter probably turned around and said, no, I already have a friend. And then like walked off as like, (laughs) what like who says that you know and um but I mean I felt that from adults too like just didn't want to be my friend or whatever and so I'm like seeing my child self or even my adult self reflected in my in my child or whatever and how that stuff used to happen to me and and uh so my when my mom was here we had this conversation with my daughter and we said she was like Um, Well, if they don't want to be my friends, I'm just going to keep trying to be their friend, just keep trying to be their friend. You know, I'm just going to keep trying to be their friend. She just kept saying, I'm going to keep trying to be their friend. And my mom was like, well, yeah, but sometimes people just don't want to be your friends, and you just got to know when to quit. And I was like, no. No, you don't. No, mom, you just keep trying to be their friend. Because if you keep trying to be somebody's friend, eventually they're going to want to be your friend, you know? So I was like really getting into my daughter's zone, but I was thinking about that. Like I have a couple of friends who that's the thing. Like, I just was like, no, I'm going to be your friend. And I just persisted. And I have people in my life who were that way, just kept showing up, just kept showing up. And I was like, I don't really want to be your friend, but they kept showing up. And now we're like friends for like 15 years, you know, like, so there's some, you know there's some validity to that, of like, no, you just keep trying, and I think part of it is because people are so used to um, you know, they don't want to anything outside of their comfort zone, and they're like, well, like that little girl was like, I already have a friend, so I don't need to go out and make new friends because I have this safe, mm-hmm. whatever place, this place where I have a friend who's just like me and whatever, and um, so I don't need anything new introduced, and I think a lot of that is like, um I think that a lot of that is just being around a lot of kids or a lot of people. You really just don't want to be around more people, you know, but, and I've had actually adults say that to me since I moved to Ohio. I've had people like, I was like, Oh yeah, we should be friends. Like you want my phone number? And they were like, uh, honestly, I'm probably not going to call you. Like, it's just probably not going to happen. I'm like, seriously, like I will drive hours to be with a friend, like whatever. So it's just this weird thing that I think people, you know, they just don't really value friendship, I guess. But, um, yeah. Like this whole thing and seeing my daughter and how like she gets, she's just like so determined to like, I'm going to be in your life and like, you're going to love me. And that's just going to be how it's going to be. You know, it's the same thing of like, yeah, I exist and I'm going to be in your life and you're going to deal with me, you know, like, and she's so happy about it. And it doesn't, it doesn't like really, I don't know, so far it hasn't like made her sad or anything, but it, you know, breaks my heart all the time. Cause I like see this bigger picture or whatever of it. And I don't want her to be lonely, but it's just this thing of she just knows that like, yeah, I can just go into this room and like be here with these people. And like, I'm just like these people and it's great. And we're going to be friends. Like she assumes she's going to be friends with people Mm. everywhere we go. And that's just such a, like a beautiful quality that most, most of us as adults don't, don't retain. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many kids being a mother is just constantly heartbreaking and just heart expansive and all the beautiful stuff. <laughs> all the <Yeah>. beautiful stuff. <laughs> all encompassing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is for sure. Yeah. Just, you know, that made me think of like people, people talk about, you know, like are humans wired for connection Are humans wired for con you know, competition or whatever. And I, I feel like, you know, it keeps coming back to humans are wired for connection and community because like, that's just what we always were and how we thrived. Um, But it's interesting because like, there's two sides to that. Because the one side, like there's so many people in the world and we're all like one big family community now, right? Like where there's no oh this village and like everybody in this village is like in each other's lives and they all know each other and they all just are like community together it's like no every there's just just like the sprawl in between and then there's like just just no um these this idea of like the tribe or the, the community it's it doesn't really exist in the way that it used to and so it's on the one hand it's like yeah i get it like you already know so many people and you have your community and like to, to just become friends and meet, you know, meet new people and become friends with everybody everywhere, all the time, everywhere you go. Cause you're going to meet new people on an hourly basis or on a minute to minute basis. If you, you know, just depending on what your lifestyle is, like, you know, if you live in a city, there's going to be new people all the time. So of course you're going to get like tunnel vision. Cause it's like, you can't be friends with 8 million people. You know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta manage your energy. Um, but then on, at the same time, if you look at a child you know, who has just kind of had an opportunity to keep that quality about them, like a lot of them are very pro-social and pro-connection like connection in that way. And it just made me remember this. I, I kind of forgot about this, but when my daughter was, I think she was, she, I mean, she was able to stand up. So she was like a young toddler and we were at the playground and it was some like six year old's birthday party. And not long after we'd gotten to the park, like she was super excited. She always loved bigger kids, still does. And, you know, she's like, oh, you know, so excited. There's all these big kids around and she just like wants to be on the playground with them and go down the slide and play and stuff. And, and at the, there was this moment, this precise moment where she, I think she was standing at the bottom of the slide and the mom with the birthday cake or the treats or whatever walked up and was like, hey, I've got the thing. And all these six-year-olds descended down these parallel slides. And my daughter is standing at the end of the slide with her arms wide open. Oh. Like, give, I want to hug you, you know? Like, I want to give you a I want to hug. And they all just, nobody noticed her. Nobody even looked at her. Oh. They just went straight by her for the birthday cake. And I was like, oh oh my god <laughs> but it just I mean you know no fault on those kids of course like they're this they're they're six years old it's a birthday party they want the cake you know I get it but just seeing her it was just like she used to do that when she was really little She like anywhere we went she would especially if she saw like a teenage girl she just loved teenage girls and she would just go to them and just like put her arms up and be like pick me up <laughs> um so yeah just totally that openness to just connect because Mm -hmm. i think i think it makes sense to me that it would be programmed in our biology that anyone like when you're little like this whole idea of stranger danger like doesn't exist like when you're little anyone you see is someone in your community and so they're all just like people who are there and going to care for you you know Mm -hmm. but that's not actually what the world is anymore it's like no, you could see anybody anywhere, and they 're like you're never going to see them again yeah I,
0: when I, I when I was uh in massage therapy school when I was like eighteen years old, I remember my massage teacher set, telling this story um, about that whole stranger danger thing and how she never taught her daughters about stranger danger. She just always taught them to like trust their instinct and go to the adult that felt most safe.
1: Mm. And,
0: um, like if they were lost or something like that. And I had told this story about how, when I was a kid, I was staying at home alone at my grandma's house. I was probably, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven years old. I was definitely like in kindergarten, first grade kind of thing. And um, they had a pet raccoon and I reached up on the shelf to give this raccoon some cheese and it knocked this huge bowl off on my head and it busted my head open. And I remember I walked over to the phone and I grabbed the phone to call my aunt because she was the other backup. My grandma was at work. And so I call my aunt and she doesn't answer. I put the phone down. There's blood all over the phone. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And like me as like a five-year-old was like super responsible, (laughs) uh, which is why I was home alone. But, um, and my grandma worked just like through this neighborhood at this little, uh, gas station or whatever. So I was like, well, I'm just going to have to walk to this gas station and get help. So I'm like bleeding out, you know, all over the place. So me and my dog, we go walking up to this gas station and one of the neighbors, it was like an old man. I'm he's, he sees me with blood everywhere. I'm like this little girl walking. And he was like, honey, do you need help? Like, can I take you somewhere? And I refused help and I was like bleeding out like I had to get stitches eventually but I refused help because of stranger danger because I was like I don't know this person I can't trust this person and maybe that was wise but you know my teacher was like yeah you were just like programmed basically to like not accept help when you're bleeding out you probably could have used any help that you could have gotten um and it was really in that situation it was fine because my the store was just right up the road and I just went there and waited for my dad and bled out all over the grocery store (laughs) but um It just like this thing of, yeah, like the stranger danger. And, and, uh, I just had, because it was a man and because he was a person I didn't know, I just automatically, instead of like asking myself, like, is this a person I could trust or whatever? I just remember it being, nope, that's a man. I can't go with that person or whatever. And I mean, that's something I've carried with me like to basically until almost now, um, it's something I'm now not, you know, now I can more easily, I would just write men off basically up mm-hmm. until recently in my life. But, um, it's just an interesting thing that back to the programming <laughs> and like, and it's also rounds back out to the food thing. Like this is, you know, I think about this with my daughter all the time. Like how much am I how much am I allowing her to exercise her intuition around food and how much am I influencing her decision around food? And, you know, back to the conversation where they were talking about it and William Sears, he has this great um, philosophy about it that I really did a lot with her when she was younger. And he was like, don't look at what they eat in a day, look at what they eat in a week. And you want to balance out the week basically. I don't really do that anymore, but I probably, yeah, that's probably a better mentality to get into, but um, yeah, how to find this balance between intuition and, and just like the learning that you have to, the wisdom that we have as adults and how do we like gift that to our kids and how to find the balance between that where it's, I mean, that's what relationship is, right? It's like a mutual thing, like an interactive thing instead of just being like me parenting, it's just like reading the situation all the time and Mm -hmm. getting feedback and, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's tough, but we will make it through.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is just one chapter of the ever unfolding story.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's probably a good place to end. And so thank you everyone for listening and I'm sure we'll continue this. We'll be farther down the road on this conversation (laughs) next month, whenever we meet. Um, But until then, thank you for listening to this conversation between women. And I hope that you all are having your own conversations between women that, that are uh, nurturing and fulfilling and strike your fancy in whatever way that is.